0: We're starting into a new series simply called Behind the Scene. It started coming out of our series that we just uh, finished up on Room for Doubt. We thought it might be a good thing just to take a look at some of those things that we just cannot see with the eye. First used in 1905, the word paranormal simply means not scientifically explainable, supernatural. The English word may be Just slightly over 100 years old. But human interest in the supernatural has been around since the very beginning of time. So over the next few weeks, with the exception of March Madness, which is next Sunday, we're going to explore from a biblical perspective some of the realities that fall into the category of the paranormal. Things like Satan or our battle with temptation. Angels. And we're going to conclude with the whole concept of miracles on Easter Sunday. And so it is my hope and prayer that as we go through this series, that when we're done, we'll have enough biblical understanding to keep us grounded when the mysteries of the unexplained want to take our minds soaring on flights of fantasy. Author G.K. Chesterton wrote a century ago, When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. The forces in and around us that cannot be seen have become fodder for superstition and fantasy throughout human history. But Chesterton is right. And the farther that we move away from God, the greater our interest in the paranormal. Humanity is so desperate to understand what we cannot explain. And because such things cannot be defined or described by our five senses, and because science cannot confirm their existence, the mind speculates without borders. It can just go wild. Why the fascination? It's because, folks, we're more than just flesh, bone, and blood. We are deeper than just this physical that we see and interact with. In the opening chapters of God's creation epic, we read this in the book of Genesis. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now some suggest that the human being, the nature of us in humanity... Is triune just like God's nature is triune. We celebrate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The human trilogy is body, soul, and spirit. Now, I can only speculate this morning whether that's God's view or merely our human interpretation of the way God designed it. But it does make sense. If we've been created in the image of God, and God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, then for us to be triune in nature, body, spirit, soul, it, it fits. It makes sense. And here's something else that I want you to notice. The Hebrew word, which is translated breath in this passage, is the same word for spirit. Spirit. And that word which is translated being is actually the word soul. So this verse might as well read like this. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life. And the man became a living soul. Body, spirit, soul. Thus, some suggest that the union of the body and the, soul, or, and the spirit creates the living soul. And so, all three are a part of who we are. When the body dies, it decays and returns to the elements of the ground. The wise king Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Given the fact that the bulk of our bodies is comprised of water and fat, we are earthier than we want to think. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, do you realize this? Six elements account for 99% of the mass of the human body. Six elements. You are 99% carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. Sprinkle in some calcium, sodium, potassium, and voila, you got a human being. Kind of makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? One of the farmers told me after first service, that's something I use on my corn yield every year. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You see, really when when we get this picture of God forming Adam from the elements of the ground, it really is the picture it is however not the sum total of who we are we are much more than a collection of chemicals it is the union of these three the body with the spirit that forms the soul that makes us distinctly who we are paul's passionate work passionate words of encouragement to the christians in thessalonica becomes a challenge for us as well in first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 it says, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. There it is. Body, soul, spirit again. So here's this truth. When we take God out of the picture, when we abandon him, when we feel that we no longer need God or that we have grown past our need for God, There is a void in our lives that desperately wants to be filled. And like a vacuum that seeks to be filled, we start longing to replace the emptiness, the void that has been left by our absence of God with something that can only be an inferior substitute. And an inferior substitute can never truly satisfy the soul that can only find its answer in God. Now, I'm telling you, folks, the paranormal sells. I just Googled online to see how many vampire movies have been made. And I didn't get any farther than the very first hit on, on the page, which said, top 50 vampire movies top 50, how how many are they picking from? I I couldn't even find out how many vampire movies have been made over the years. The bulk of them have been made in the last few years. And in that list of the top 50, it included this one, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. It was was made in 2012. Now, I've read a lot of books on Lincoln, but boy, that's news to me. Goodness. Goodness. Movies, books, and shows about ESP, ghosts, hauntings, and apparitions, they just abound. You don't have to go very far to find all this stuff available to us. From Ouija boards, to palm readers, to seances, to the Zodiac, to tarot cards, and tea leaf interpretations, we are fascinated with the things that we believe will give us answers that we cannot find out any other way. But what do we know about the paranormal? from the study of scripture. Does the Bible have anything to say about these things that, well, are so captivating to our culture? Let me take you to a story, a very unique story, out of 1 Samuel chapter 28. Now, this story takes place at the end of King Saul's reign and life. But But really, to understand what's happening here, we we need to set this up just a little bit, okay? You need a little bit of historic perspective here. During the time of Hebrews, the Hebrew nation's last judge, a man by the name of Samuel, okay? The people of Israel grow restless. Part of this is because, once again, they've left God behind. At this day and time, Israel is a theocracy, You know what a democracy is? A theocracy is a nation that is controlled by God. But they aren't happy with that. Because all the nations around them have kings. The Perizzites have kings. The Gigasites have kings. The Ammonites have kings. The Canaanites have kings. All God's children got kings. We want a king. God says, you don't know what you're asking for. You you don't know what you want. You're asking for something where they're going to conscript your sons into military service. They're going to make your daughters serve in the palace. The king is going to tax your land. The king is going to confiscate your, your yields. And your, you don't know what you want. And yes, we do. We want a king. And so God says, if that's what you want, you've got it. you've got a king. And God chose a really good man. Saul started out in such a grand manner that it seemed like this new leadership style might just be the right answer after all. Chosen, blessed, and filled with the Spirit of God, Saul was 30 years old when he became Israel's monarch. He had the presence of a celebrity, the look of royalty, but he remained a man of humility. When he could have retaliated because of rude and brazen insults, he didn't. He just kept silent and went on about his business. And after the fanfare of his inauguration, do you know what Saul did? He went back home to the family farm and started farming again. Who couldn't like this guy? Humble attitude, simple ways, a magnanimous heart for those who opposed him, and a servant of the living God. We would do well to imitate that example. You see, those qualities... Those qualities will open doors of opportunity for us to make a positive, genuine difference in this world. Those qualities will help us represent Jesus to a world that so desperately needs to know him. But unfortunately, the end of the story is as tragic as the beginning of the story is positive. Saul could have become the first of a long-time line of descendants upon the throne of Israel. But he ended up being a miserable failure. His royal dynasty begins and ends with him alone. You want to know why? Because along the way, Saul abandoned God. For whatever the reason, Saul thought he had a better way to do it than, than God's way to do it. Uh, for whatever reason, he, he, he thought his wisdom was, was more important than God's wisdom. And when God gave him specific commands, Saul did it another way. Over and over, God gave him the opportunity to turn himself around, but he didn't. His habitual disobedience to the law of God finally caused the Lord to reject him as king and caused Samuel to turn his back on Saul. God removed his blessing from Saul, and he became sullen, angry, vengeful, paranoid, And spiritually desperate you see God never removes our choice be careful the choices you make do not leave God behind do not trust your own wisdom more than you trust his and when God gives us a command to follow follow it because it is for our best interest because when you leave God in the dust. The dust is all you have to look forward to. Here's a truth that weaves its way throughout the whole story of King Saul, a truth that we cannot afford to overlook. When God becomes less than a priority in our lives, or when we've removed God's influence from our lives, the end of our story is tragic at best. God gave Saul several chances to get it right, to repent, to turn his life back around, but Saul never did. Saul knew that God no longer responded to his selfish prayers. And Samuel by this time is dead. And so Saul, in his desperation, when the well, when the end of his life nears, tries to call on something that God had forbidden. As a matter of fact, at the very beginning of his reign, the Bible says that Saul purged the land of this activity. And now here at the end, he turns the table and seeks out the very thing he had tried to purge. What am I talking about? Well, four times in the law, we read something similar to what we find in Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 and following. And this is what we read in Deuteronomy. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is going to give you. Now, this is written to the Israelites before they move into the land of Canaan. Be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. So back to the story. Here at the end of Saul's life, the Philistines are gathering to attack him once again, and he doesn't know how things are going to go. And in his fear... He says to a couple of his men, I need a psychic. I need a medium to talk to. I need somebody that can call up the dead. I got to get a word on what's going to happen. And, and less than 10 miles away in the community of Indor, there was a, a medium. Sometimes the scriptures call it the witch of Indor. And so Saul and two of his trusted men disguise themselves. They go down and they appear before this woman. And she asks, who do you wish to contact? And Saul says, bring up Samuel. And this is where we pick up the story in, in uh, verse, chapter 28, verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What's he look like? An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by the prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. And of course, Samuel goes on to tell him at this point in time, You know the answer. God has removed himself from tomorrow. You'll be even as I am. Whoa. This is one strange story. (laughs) Make a cool movie, though, don't you think? Better than Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. I'm telling you that. Theologians have debated for centuries exactly what is happening here. I mean, there, there is no other story like this in all of Scripture. And, and there are so many stories that are left out of Scripture, you've got to wonder, okay, why did God devote so much scriptural text to a story like this? Now, some believe that this is merely a demonic impression of Samuel. Some believe that this is a hoax that is somehow perpetrated by the medium herself. Some believe that this is actually a God-intervened moment in time where he actually allows the spirit of Samuel to come back and speak to Saul just like the spirit of Elijah and Moses come back to encourage Jesus in the story of the transfiguration in the Gospels before Jesus went to the cross. I don't know which one is accurate. I'll tell you which way I lean. I, I think this is one of those God moments when Samuel actually comes back. But it doesn't matter if that's the case or the other case. The the, the point of the story is the same regardless of how we interpret it. And the point is simply this. The message for Saul was, you will die in the upcoming battle, and the kingdom will be torn out of your hands and your household's hands and will be given to another that is far greater than you, a man by the name of David. Now, I know what some of you are thinking this morning. You're sitting out there thinking, I don't know about this kind of stuff. This is all just kind of... Spooky and fanciful and mediums and palmists and hauntings and devils and demons. Do you really expect me to believe this kind of stuff is real? C.S. Lewis said there are two approaches that we need to guard against. And he wrote this in his book, Screwtape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence... And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. To say all this stuff is just hogwash. I can't go there. To have this excessive interest to dabble in it, boy, don't go there. Somehow we need to find a balance. What, what is this teaching us? What is God trying to communicate to us? So so let me just see if I can wrap this up this morning with with a few thoughts. And, And here's the first one. There is more than meets the eye out there. I cannot explain some of the paranormal things that have been documented through time. But I can say this. I do not believe that God's word would make a big deal out of prohibiting our participation in something that isn't potentially dangerous. Is it real? I suspect that it is. I can't prove that it is or that it isn't. But again, the Bible isn't in the habit of making a big deal out of nothing. This I can say, if one becomes so enamored with it that he loses his perspective of God or makes the paranormal his normal way of life or places these things, the paranormal, on an equal plateau with the power of God or the Word of God, then it might as well be real and true. Because it creates a false sense of security. It creates a false sense of hope. It creates a false gospel. It pulls us away from the truth. The more we're enamored and engaged with that, the less we're thinking of God. And our relationship with the Lord diminishes. Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now, I'm telling you, there is more than meets the eye out there. And there's plenty in Scripture to suggest that the spiritual realm around us that we cannot see is very, very active. Here's something else. We have a need to connect with one another. Today, so many are disparaging of the existence of the church. There will be people that will say, you know, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. Now, does the church deserve some of that criticism? Yeah, it does. Uh, We've not always been who the Lord wants us to be. We've gotten into squabbles and fights. And there there, there are people who claim to be Christians who live as hypocrites. I, I get all that. I understand that. It frustrates, trust me, it frustrates me more than it frustrates you. We've not always been who the Lord wants us to be. But you can't take imperfect people and make a perfect organization. It just can't happen. There are flaws. We are flawed people, which is why all of us are here to begin with. But people who dismiss the value of the church do so because they forget why the Lord gave us the church to begin with. It is to have others with whom we connect that will help us get us through this troubled, broken world. When we don't connect with people, when we don't connect with those who can stand by us in the times of agony and hurt and tragedy and sorrow and sin and bitterness and all the things that we go through in this world, we're not going to get through it very well. In analyzing the tragedy of the recent Florida school shootings, this this awful event some have suggested that the troubled young man who tragically took so many innocent lives was a kid who didn't connect with anybody, that he was a, was a loner. You know, when you start looking at all the tragedies that have happened, all these crazy things that our culture is dealing with, you will often see that the perpetrator is one who is a loner, who has few, if any, genuine human connection points. Now, that's an extreme example, I realize. But the lesson is the same. Our lives suffer greatly when we don't connect with others. And in that void, we can begin to look for support and encouragement and help in the paranormal sources that are around us. So let me remind you this morning how important it is in this life to be connected with God's people. If you're not in a life group, you need to be in a life group. If you lack spiritual connections with others, you're going to struggle in this life. You're likely to become discouraged and eventually give up in frustration if you don't connect. This is what I've noticed with people who just come and are a part of the worship service. After a few months or a few years, they get kind of weary. They get a little bit restless. They're not connected here anywhere. And so they go looking for another church that will be what they want it to be. Now, folks, it is our responsibility to make opportunities available to you to connect. But I cannot make you connect. You have to take the initiative to connect. I know people who become critical and bitter at the church simply because they didn't feel like they fit in, but they weren't trying. It's got to be both ways. Listen to me, what's at stake is eternal life, and that's too important to handle as a loner in this world. A lone Christian is not what God designed this life to be like. That's what your one life needs. Your one life needs you desperately. You may be the only Christian influence in his or her life. And if you're not there for them, if they don't have a touch of what is normal in the faith, they may turn to the paranormal. You don't know what kind of influences they may be relying on. Your one life needs you. That's a connecting point. And during this life, you're gonna go through times of sadness and tragedy in this broken world. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The paranormal can only offer a false sense of comfort. God and his church can be the genuine source of strength and peace in the tough moments. To help through those troubling times, we have nearly 20 support groups here at Sherwood Oaks, including divorce care, grief care, financial counseling, stroke support, seekers of serenity, dementia support, and so much more. They're listed on the website. You can see them there. But I'm telling you, if you've got a need and you think, I need help with grief, I want you to call Alan Phillips or Connie Ferris and and let them know. And we can get you hooked into these support groups because there is something about having others to come around you in life's tough moments that somehow gets you through. And if you've got a need and there's not a group for it, then let's work together to create a group to support and help. You see, connecting, connecting gets us through the world, but you've got to connect with the right source, God and his people. Here's the last thing. Through it all, we need to trust God. There are so many things in life that cause fear. And the paranormal opportunities offer a false sense of security to handle those fears. Saul went to the medium that lived in Endor. He thought, maybe I can find security in her. And the answer that he got was the thing he just feared the most. If only we could know the future. If only we could know the future. No. That's not what you want. That's certainly not what I want. Because if I knew three months from now there was going to be a tragedy in my life, if I knew three years from now there was going to be a major tragedy in my life, I could not enjoy one day between now and then because my mind would be focused on what was coming down the road. You see, knowing the future in a broken world can only cause you to lose the joy of today. I don't need to know the future. I just need to trust the one who holds the future in the palm of his hand. Saul learned only too late in life that he had abandoned the only possible source of victory, and that was God. We will not have answers for the things that happen in this life, but I am content to trust God who does know the answers and who does not make mistakes. He can be trusted when nothing or no one else can be. Even in our bleakest moments, God can make a way into the future. And remember, God always meets us where we are, but he never leaves us where he found us. He is worthy. He is worthy of your trust. So when God tells us to stay away from the paranormal, it's because dabbling in such things destroys our ability to trust Him. And when we stop trusting Him, we have no more foundation to build on. So when you find your curiosity piqued, or you find that restlessness in your heart and soul, don't look at the strange and unusual paranormal opportunities around you. Look to the Lord. C.S. Lewis provides the best reason for doing so. He writes in his classic book, Mere Christianity, these words, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. So if I find myself, in myself, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. On the day of Billy Graham's death, this man who's had such an impact in our country, in our government, in our world. Mike Huckabee said this. When I heard this morning that Billy Graham had died, I said, that's fake news. He's more alive now than ever before. That was sort of taking some of Billy Graham's own words. Not long before his own death, he had written this. Someday you'll read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. That's the normal. And that's our greatest hope. What will people say of you when you leave this world? Will your light of faith and trust in God still be shining brightly long after you've gone home? For the Christian, that's the norm. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past 6 years at socc.org/messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.